0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited to start our Sojourner series. We're getting back into the book of Acts. Now, now we're not going to be in Acts per se today, but we're going to set ourselves up, much like the Pioneer series, so that we understand what a pioneer was. We also want to understand what a Sojourner is. And so today, we're going to be focusing on what a Sojourner is by really defining the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, I found this from a movie image of the Apostle Paul. I thought he had a nice hair head like me. So um, I don't know what Paul looked like, but maybe that is something that looks similar to him. Um, Three missionary journeys. Do do you know anything that happened during those missionary journeys? Do you know about these missionary journeys? They're very intriguing. I mean, Paul is beaten at times. He's drug across the road uh, to the point of death. I mean, the the missionary journeys are amazing. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be exploring these three missionary journeys that took an expanse of nine very difficult years. Including fourteen churches planted. The first um, missionary journey, he actually wrote to the a letter to the Church of Galatia, which now you know as Galatians, right? And over ten thousand miles traveled. Now, now Paul would begin by teaching in the synagogues when he would go to the cities, but he often would end up getting kicked out. Because he had a message, and it wasn't necessarily a well-received message. It was Israel's God has appointed a new king, and that king is Jesus Christ. And he started calling him Lord. He started calling him the names that were used for Greek gods and, and Greek leaders, and, and it wasn't always a well-received message. And sometimes he'd find himself out in the marketplaces He would set up shop as a tent maker and he'd speak out there. And he and and that would also cover often his, his traveling miles. And so Paul defined what a sojourner is. Now, now, do you know what a sojourner is? You have a definition? A sojourner, if you just look it up, it's someone who resides temporarily in a place. Have you ever sojourned somewhere then where you just resided temporarily? My wife and I have been blessed not to move that many times. Each move is incredibly tough. But if you move, then you've sojourned in your former house or sojourned in Pennsylvania or wherever God has you for a time period. Sojourner takes up temporary residence. But did you know in Scripture there's over 37 references to the word sojourner? It it, it seems that this is a very important concept in Scripture. And so I think for us, it's really wise... To have a good understanding of what it really means to be a sojourner biblically. I'm going to propose three words. Now, now last sermon series and pioneer series, it was whatever, whenever, however. Now, today I'm going to propose missional, transitional, and intentional, okay? Well, what do I mean by that? If you do a little study <clears throat> on what it means to be a sojourner, you see, one, they're missional, okay? Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul views himself as an ambassador. Now, what's an ambassador? That can be an accredited diplomat that's sent by another country to represent them. So an ambassador is someone who is sent to represent another country. Paul says, I'm an ambassador here on earth, and that's the idea behind a sojourner. They're very missional. They believe they have a message that comes from another kingdom to share with those they come in contact with. A sojourner is missional. A sojourner is also, let's call this transitional. What do I mean here? It's the church in Philippi that Paul wrote For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say, I'm a citizen of of a country. Just like we're not citizens, children of God, of the United States, spiritually, we are citizens of heaven. And so we don't await a savior from here. We don't await a savior from government. We await a savior that we are anticipating from heaven because that's where our citizenship lies. I'm sorry, but a sojourner is just passing through. And then third, intentional. What does that mean? Look at this. This is Peter this time writing. We love Peter. We've learned a lot about him in our our Pioneer series. He says, beloved, a very warm welcome, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, now he says as sojourners, it's interesting. He goes right here. Here's one of the things I want you to do. I want you to abstain. Okay. From the passions of the flesh, your flesh, this earthly tent is going to want things this world has to offer, but you're just passing through. This earthly flesh is going to want to set up shop and get comfortable here, but you're just passing through. This earthly flesh is going to want to try to be quiet and just blend in and let the world not dictate what you say, but you're an ambassador and you must speak it. So there's intentionality to being a sojourner. There's discipline. There's focus. Are you living like a sojourner? So often we're blended in so much by the culture, we don't stand out at all. Have you ever come across someone, you go, I bet they're a Christian, just because of the way they were behaving? If so, I bet they were presenting some of these characteristics. They were being a missional, an ambassador for Christ. They were transitional. They seemed to be not so focused on the things of the earth, but the things of heaven, and they were intentional. They seemed to have purpose to why they do what they do. You know, I know it's kind of morbid, but have you ever wondered what you might want to put on your epitaph? What? Yeah, like, like what would you put on your epitaph? In, 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 the, in the Pioneer series, we talked a lot about the dash. We can't control the date we're born or the day we die. That's up to the Lord. But we do have some say in what occurs during the dash, what would you want on that? What would you be known for? Now, I, I, I had a chance to look up a few epitaphs and some of these, some of these are, are kind of odd, okay? I'll just, I'll just tell you. And I think that's where this list was compiled. This is um, Harry Etzel Smith of Albany, New York. He died in 1942. Looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. <laughs> Here, here's one in Thurmont, Maryland, okay, cemetery. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. In Ripsford, England, here's the cemetery. This one says this. Anna Wallace, the children of Israel, wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna. I don't know about this Anna. (laughs) Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Okay, some of you understand what that is. Here's in the cemetery. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) Cemetery in Hartscombe, England. On the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. But listen to this one. Remember man, this is in a cemetery in England. Remember man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. To which someone kind of upset with that actually wrote on the gravestone. That's what I was reading anyway. To follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. You know, I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older and I'm starting to see seasons of life ending, as kids go off to college, as my dreams of what family vacations always were start to kind of dwindle. You start to realize there's seasons of life. There's seasons of friendship. I bet you've known that, that, that you've had friends for a time and maybe not so much anymore, there's seasons when you live in a location. There's seasons where you're at a job. There's seasons. So, so yes, there's a big dash, but there's also a lot of little dashes. Have you noticed? Where you're supposed to be there from that time to that time, and you are temporarily passing through. Maybe your current job, you're just temporarily passing through. And are you living missional, transitional, and intentional during that time period? Like a dad knows, he only has so much more time before his little girl goes off to college. He starts to get a little more missional and intentional for that time period, doesn't he? If you knew you're about to retire, hey, I'm getting close to retirement, you start thinking a little bit more about what you'd like to accomplish while you're still there. Since you're leaving, you don't get so caught up in the stresses of the company because you're leaving. It's no big deal. You also get very intentional. You know what? Before I leave, I'd like to leave this behind. Before I leave, I'd like to get this done. We become missional, transitional, and intentional when we understand life is made up of various dashes, and, and sometimes those dashes are are just moments. And I started processing this. How can I be more productive in these moments of life to, to share Christ and use my platform for Christ? And, and that was the passion behind uh, a, a sojourner moment that I wanted to bring up today. I, I think some of you are gonna be familiar with this guy. Have you ever, you recognize that guy? Yeah, I, I think, you know, right, right, Tebowing right? Um, Tim Tebow, Florida Gator, from 2006 to 2009. That was his dash, that was his dash. And, and during that time period, he really sought to be a missional guy to a point where it got him attacked pretty hard for it. But there was a story about the national championship game, which he won a couple, where he went up to one of the guys on the team who uh, I guess is another believer. He said, I want to use my platform for Christ somehow. Um, I want to do something during this game to bring uh, a glory or attention to Christ somehow. And they talked together, and he came up with this idea. Of what he would do, he was going to put eye black on, and he was going to put John three sixteen under his eyes during the national championship game. Now, during the national championship game, you ready for this? It was estimated after the game that there were ninety four million Google searches for John three sixteen during that game. I sat there and this guy puts on this eye black and people see this. And then I thought, man, there's 94 million people who don't know John 3:16. But I thought, what a sojourner moment. I'm passing through. I'll only have this platform for this how many minutes. I want to use it for Christ. I don't want to be defined by this moment. I'm just passing through as a gator. How can I be more intentional with the time I have? So I want to ask you, In your different dashes of life, how disciplined are you to live a sojourner's mindset? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to have just passed through. And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and, and kind of a masterclass, if you will, on how to live a sojourner life. And I pray today as you leave, you'll desire to take some of these mindsets with you. And live a little differently in your current circumstances because of what a sojourner is supposed to live like. And i got to be honest with you, the devil's kind of been on me with this. Nobody really is going to want to live their life this focused, Chris. I mean, this is like what pastors are supposed to do. I've really had that. Like, this isn't the message that's going to communicate. People really don't want to discipline their spiritual life. They don't want to try that hard. I've just been been haunted with that a little bit. been fighting it back. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer today. I'm going to fight him back because I believe we do have a church. That wants to discipline themselves to be a stronger believer for Jesus Christ and to know Christ better. And and we'll do that today as we study what it looks like to be a sojourner here on earth. Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your house. It's good to have everyone join us. I just pray that your name would be lifted high in this place. You remove all distraction that would keep us from our pursuit to know Christ. To live for Christ. And if it means even to die for Christ that you would give us the strength and the heart and the desire to do so. So, Lord, use your servant. Get me out of the way so that your message only could be heard. And I pray that we would not only just hear the word, but be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, every great company kind of knows in order to have a lot of success, You gotta have clear language, clear purpose. Because it's one thing if the boss or the owner of the company knows this, and I don't care if this is a large company or if you got a little side hustle, okay, where you're building something. You wanna have these three aspects to it, okay? And if there's some businessmen here, you're gonna be very familiar with the language I'm gonna use. You gotta have mission, vision, and strategy. And I would argue if you have a breakdown in your organization, it's because mission has not been clearly promoted, vision is not clearly communicated, and the strategy is not held accountable. You need to have those things to have strength. So how do you develop a mission? You ask two questions. Why do we exist? Why are we here? And you ask the second question, what do we value? For example. McDonald's will tell you, we exist to be in the convenience business. We want to be on almost every corner in every town. I went to Trinidad and Tobago and had a big Mac. I think it cost me like 50 bucks or something there. You know, something like that. But 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 to to have that mission, that people know it. See, our mission here at church is to grow people of all ages to a mature faith in Christ. It shows up here on the stage. It shows up in how we communicate. It shows up in how we invest our dollars into various ministries of all ages. We don't look at children as the future church. We look at them as the church. And we certainly don't look at seniors as the past church. We look at them as part of our church. And we don't wanna cater to the loud or or even to the quiet. We wanna do what God has for us and grow people of all ages. We have a clear mission statement. An organization knows it has to have a vision What do we hope to become? That's how you answer that. How do I develop vision? I've heard people say, I used to think like people say, hey, we have a vision for our company. They went back in this back room and said, oh, give me vision. No, it's what do we wanna become? What do we wanna be like? And so you begin to ask those questions. You develop a vision that everybody gets to drive towards. Oh, we wanna do that. We wanna become like that. And you hold people accountable to that by developing clear strategies. Now, most organizations try five-year strategies. This is what we can handle for five years. Now, uh, since this past year, people are doing two-year strategies, okay? But, but five-year strategies, what's going to be our approach? How will we define success? It amazes me for all the young people who want to be on Shark Tank someday, okay? And for all these entrepreneurs that want to start businesses, that understand how important mission, vision, and strategy is, it amazes me, and it, and it kind of disappoints me personally, myself, I disappoint myself, that I'm not that passionate with my spiritual life. That I don't put that much effort into my spiritual life. We'll pour hours of effort into things like this because it might make us money, it might make us successful, it might make us respected, it might make our organization one that everyone wants to be like. But would I be willing to put that much intentionality into my spiritual life? Boy, I I wouldn't even know where to start, Chris. Honestly, no, I I haven't thought about developing my own mission statement or a vision or, or a strategy for spiritual growth. Let me introduce Paul now into this. And I want to show you Paul's mission, vision, and strategy by leveraging three of his most famous passages. And let's learn from him. Let's learn what kind of spiritual life Paul had. We'll start in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He talks about his missional life. He's writing to the church in Philippi in chains, guys. He's been locked up because of what he's been speaking And he has been thinking about, you can tell the the context of where we're at, he's been thinking about standing before the Lord. That was ever before Paul. Just this thought of standing before God, it kind of consumed him. He was all about it. And he said this to them, he goes, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. I'm not gonna be ashamed on that day, but have complete boldness So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And you know what he then does? He drops a mission statement on us. And many of you have it memorized. But he drops it, and it's like, boom, right? For to me, for to me, notice not for to you. This is Paul. So regardless if everybody in my family walks away from the Lord, Regardless, if my best friends who I went to youth group with for the past four years turn on God and go to college and just live life totally different from what God had for them, regardless of anybody around me, for to me, this is the way it's going to go. Don't let anybody, young people, don't let anybody dictate your spiritual life. For to me, to live, if I'm alive, boom, boom, let me check, yep, Christ. In fact, Translators have added is to make it a little more readable. You could actually actually read this, for to me to live Christ, just Christ. I want you to understand this. Paul's basically saying, everything I do as a sojourner is for Christ. With Christ, he's always with me. Everything I do is for him. Everything is with me. So for Christ, with Christ, and you guessed it, you guessed it, through Christ. That's how I live. I want to know Christ, to be Christ, to live for Christ. So for me to live, hey, if the emperor's verdict is Paul gets to live, well, then I'm going to be Christ. If the emperor's verdict is Paul's dying, well, then that's gain. I'm going to glory. Paul looked at going to heaven as, woo, let's go. I'm out. He was not like, oh, no, i just got to stay alive. i got to do everything to stay alive. I've got to do everything to stay alive. He was like, dang, good, let's go. What did he know? Paul, what did you know? Why are you so pumped about dying? Well, maybe it's because he had lived such a difficult life. Or maybe he knew something. Maybe he knew something about how great heaven is. That it made him really not want to be here. Paul had a mission statement. Why do I exist? To be Jesus Christ to everybody who sees me. So I'm gonna watch my mouth at work. I'm gonna watch my attitude with people. I'm gonna watch my decision-making and my testimony because my goal is to be Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. To die, let's do it. That's game. Do you have a mission statement? I've kind of anchored down on 1 Corinthians 15, 58 from the time I was in college. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's helped me at times when I'm like, am I wasting my time? That's helped me at times when I've gone, should I do that or should I not do that? Lord, I just wanna be steadfast. I wanna be like a tree for my family, for the people who depend on me spiritually. I wanna be like a tree. It's been a kind of a mission statement. It's helped me stay on track. Mission statements do that. We have a a great facility up on the ridge, but you have no idea how many people call and tell us how we should use it. And we say, I'm sorry, that's off mission. This is our mission here. A mission statement helps you stay on track. Course, Young families, moms and dads of young families, you ever think about doing a mission statement for your family? Hey, as, as for our house, okay? This is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. It's awesome. Have you ever thought of writing something out like that? I, I tell you what, they found kind of a mission statement. I would never suggest a mission statement this long, okay? But um, it was written out, they found this on a table that that was left by a pastor about 100 years ago in Zimbabwe, Africa, okay? Um, It's called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. Have you ever heard this? The Fellowship of the Unashamed? It's worth just listening to. I don't think I need to set it up any more than that. Ready? Wait till you hear this. This pastor writes this. And it was left and they only found it because he had been killed for his faith he was martyred and voice of martyrs put this out i am part of the fellowship of the unashamed i have holy spirit power listen to this the die has been cast i've stepped over the line the decision has been made i am a disciple of his i won't look back let up slow down back away or be still my past is redeemed my presence makes sense my future is secure I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have a right. I don't have to be right. First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy or pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all I know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear." If you've ever written down anything for the Lord, do you understand how much time that would have taken? How much heart and passion to write something like that? I mean, I read that and I'm almost like, all right, ready team, go! And we run out of the tunnel. This is a different kind of faith. This is a different kind of love for Jesus. This is a different kind of life. This is a sojourner's life. Here's the second one. He's a vision, okay? You gotta have a vision. Paul had a vision. What do I wanna become? Where will I hope to get? Philippians 3, 12 through 14, where's we're gonna get this one? Oh, you know this passage. Paul's just processing how he wants to become spiritually mature and become more like Christ. And so he says, I wanna know Christ better. I wanna get a full knowledge of who Christ is. And he says, not that I have already obtained it or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look, I'm not there, I'm not already perfect, and this isn't a reference to sinless perfection, this is a reference to spiritual maturity. But here's what I do, I press on. That's sprinter language, Any, anybody runners in here? Any, anybody run? They say 87% of Americans own sneakers and don't run, you yeah. okay. uh, know? Um, this is sprinter language. Pressing on carries the idea of being aggressive and attacking a goal. Paul says, you know what I do? I press on. And it's not that I've already obtained it, but I press on. Why? Because Jesus made me his own. I remember when he stopped me on the road to Damascus and made me his own. And I press on for him. I want to be like him. I want to know him. brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, the key to successful running is forgetting what lies behind. Who needs this? Forget what lies behind. How often are we looking into the past? You'll ever see a good runner standing, all right, on your mark, get set, go. What are you doing, man? Looking back is the key to not pressing forward. Forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. What's he straining towards? Knowing Christ, living for Christ. He's straining. Now that's interesting, that's interesting. I got thinking about this. I, I've been around in athletics my whole life. My children are very invested in athletics. I, I was always into athletics and I've been around a lot of strains, okay? I've been around hamstring strains, okay? Shoulder strains. Some of you strained something coming in here today, right? You're like, oh, why are we talking about it? <laughs> Strains. You've overexerted a muscle, right? I remember one time looking at an athlete and his chest had stress marks on it. Stress marks. I said, what's that? Ah, working out so hard that, like, there's stress marks there on the skin. Mm-hmm. Straining. Paul says, that's how I attack my spiritual life. I started asking myself, have I ever strained myself spiritually? Like where I was like, no, oh, I pulled something going after Christ. Now, obviously not physically. But Paul says, are you straining at all? Wow. What's he calling us to? He says, I'm straining. I'm pushing myself. He says this, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can't wait for the upward call. I can't wait to stand before Christ. In fact, it's Paul who tells us about this Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. We find out throughout the New Testament, the crowns and rewards for a life well-lived for Jesus, the crown of rejoicing, the crown that goes to those who prioritize salvation and evangelism, the crown of life for those who prioritize persevering through difficulty, the crown of righteousness for those who prioritize holy living here on earth, the crown of glory for those who prioritize shepherding and loving people the crown of victory for those who prioritized faithfulness. It's like Paul lived for that day to be rewarded by his Jesus, to stand before his Jesus. He lived for that and you go, "What, what motivated that so much? I mean, I get that, but I hear a lot of people go, I'm good. You know, whatever I get in heaven, I'm good with it. Paul's like, no, 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 lay up your treasures in heaven. Seek rewards in heaven. I mean, Paul, of all the teachers of the New Testament, was the one who constantly brought up, there's rewards coming. There's rewards coming for those who do this. Do it. What? what, Paul, what? You know, it's interesting. The apostle Paul talks about a time where he was called up into heaven. Do you remember this? Some of you are familiar with this. It happened in 2 Corinthians. He told the church in, in Corinth this. And he says this I know a man, talking in third person, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Paul's talking about himself. Paul went to heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told. Paul went to heaven and heard things that he can't tell us. Which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except for my weaknesses. What are you doing here, Paul? He says, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. So that no one might think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. What did you see that gives you a reason to go, I have some reason to boast here. What did you see? He says, so to keep me from being conceited, oh my word, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, whatever Paul saw, would, he, he said, I'd be in danger of being proud or conceited a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from getting conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak... I actually get really strong. This is, first Chris, so you can take this information and throw it out if you want to, or second Christopher, whatever. But I got thinking, is it possible that Paul saw himself getting rewarded? Is it possible that Saul, Paul saw him getting all his crowns from Jesus? Is it possible that one of the things he got to see? And it drove him and motivated him to give us a New Testament full of, go for the prize. You're gonna love this, go for it. Don't live for just this earth, be a sojourner. Pass through, live for heaven. He had a vision statement. I press on towards the goal of the prize, of the upward call of knowing Christ. You can go to church your whole life. If you don't know Christ, you know nothing. You can discipline your body. You can discipline your life. You can, you can get it to a point where people go, man, they're such a good person. But if you don't know Christ, you don't got nothing. He had a vision. I'm gonna know Christ so well. I'm gonna press on for that. I'm gonna be like Christ. I'm gonna be rewarded for that. He doubled down. He said, let those of us who are mature, okay? If you'd like to be called mature by the Apostle Paul, I don't know if you'd respect his opinion. Those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's as if Paul said, I'm going to live so much for Christ. I'm going to get to know Christ so well that people are like, hey, how how should I grow in my faith? Okay, just watch me. Could you say that? Would you say that? How could I really grow in my faith and be like Christ? Uh, watch me, just watch me. That's the idea here. He had a vision of this. And so third and finally, you gotta have a strategy. What was your strategy, Paul? You had this awesome mission for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You have this awesome vision. I press on for the goal. I strain, I get in the box and I go for Jesus here on earth i go for him. But what was your strategy? And he gives us to us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I love this. He leverages the Ismaian games. He knows that the the people in Corinth were really familiar with the Ismaian games. They happened the year before and the year after the Olympiad. Now, the Ismaian games were extremely popular and, and the people longed to be a part of these games. And he goes to the race I want you to remember this. Many of us call our life the Christian walk, right? Just kind of walking for the Lord. Hey, could you be praying for my walk with the Lord, right? And there's nothing wrong with walking with the Lord. In fact, Scripture carries ideas of our walk. Paul will say our walk, but you know how Paul viewed his Christian life? This is how Paul viewed his Christian life. He was a sojourner, right? Ready, set. That's how he viewed his Christian life. I'm not going to run across the state. Really, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not walking. I'm running. I'm running to heaven. That's a sojourner. What was your strategy? He says this. He starts with a question. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Yeah, we kind of know that. Run that you might obtain it. What? What? You want me to get all competitive here? Yes, go. Run that you, some translations have, run as to win. Like I'm competing against my wife? No, you're not. Other, the pastors of church? No, you're not competing against Christians. You're running a race for Jesus and you're competing against sin and an enemy who wants to take you down and disqualify you from what God's called you to do. Paul says, I've been given a race to run and I'm gonna run it. The Ismayan games were crazy. The biggest event, the biggest event, the biggest hoopra was a horse race for a Poseidon, okay? So they do this huge horse race. But, but the, hu- the largest attraction, the most famed winner and the biggest prize, biggest monetary prize went to the biggest attraction of all and that was the endurance race. Now, that wouldn't be my favorite race to watch, but they loved it. They couldn't believe endurance. Endurance was so important to that culture. And Paul's leveraging all this. He goes, you know those runners out there? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I want to be like one of them. He goes, run is to win. Every athlete, he says, not only is this a competitive race, every athlete against the devil and against sin, but every athlete understands it's a disciplined race. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It said in the smile games, there was a man who trained. He held his arms up for two straight days. He wanted it, kind of his arms to more typically be up than down. Two straight days. Kids, try this this afternoon. See if you can last till Tuesday, right? Don't do that. Our parents call me like, Chris, my child's standing there with his arms out. I'm sorry. But they went into 10 rigorous months of training final months were even supervised as they each stayed in the tent. He says, it's a discipline race. He goes, come on, this isn't just a walk. This Christian life isn't just a walk. It's a rewarded race. He says this, they do it. You know, these athletes, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we're going for something imperishable. See, a perishable means it'll fade away. At the end of each sprint at the Ismayan games, they put the wreath up there so people could see it. There were a bunch of Corinthian phrases. Just like we have American phrases, there were Corinthian phrases. And one of the Corinthian phrases was, Fix your eyes on the prize. In other words, stay focused on that wreath. Now go get it. And Paul says, Yeah, that's great. You're going after a perishable wreath. You put it on your head, it comes and goes. But we're going for something that's eternal. We're disciplining ourselves for something that's rewarded. Folks, this dash you have right now is your only chance to store up treasures in heaven. And so often, our activity gets burned up, Corinthians tells us, because our attitude stunk. The way we went about it was wrong, it wasn't Christ like. But when we do things for Christ, for Him, with Him, and through Him, we're rewarded for that in heaven. Are you stockpiling in glory or in the temporary? He goes, we're going for an imperishable wreath. He says, so, so I gotta be focused, it's a focused race. So I do not run aimlessly, you ever run aimlessly? No, 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 no. I do not box like a man beating the air. They say it takes more energy to swing and miss than to swing and hit. And Paul says, I'm not a man out here boxing like a man beating the air, but he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Some translations say, but I beat my body and make it my slave. Have you ever had to tell your body no? Ever try a diet? Oh man. You're working on your diet, you know, and then your wife brings home something like Tabora Farms. It's like, you know, God's good. (laughs) His grace is sufficient for me. (laughs) Right? And then we're crazy. We take that food and we're like, Lord, bless this to our bodies, right? (laughs) Somehow change it. We got a staff member. I've been a little underweight my wife's encouraging me to eat more I'm like shut up <laughs> walks by donuts here at the church somebody blessed the staff with some donuts walks by the donuts I see him standing there he's looking at them I'm like what? he goes I really ought to have one of those <laughs> you ought to have one? yeah I should that would help not how everyone looks at donuts right? I tell my body no I want to watch that movie I mean what's the big deal I tell my body no I want to do this that person they deserve it I tell my body no I want to I want to live for glory and fame for to me to live is wealth and to die is my kids fighting over it for me to live is fame and to die is a legacy Paul said no I beat my body, I tell my body no, because I want to be Christ. And there's something to this focus, this intentional repetition in his spiritual life. Anyone who's done any coaching or worked with athletes at all, you'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with this phrase. Here's the phrase: um, Let me come to me, Lord, thank you. Um, muscle memory. Muscle memory. Muscle memory. An athlete does things so many times, they repeat it so many times, that their muscles just go to it naturally. Just naturally. Is it, it'd, be harder, it'd be harder for a professional tennis player to hit a bad shot than a good shot. Hey, hey, could you, um, here's your tennis racket. could you hit a bad shot? Um, yeah, um, okay, like, go like that. Because they're they're just so natural that they do it right. Paul says, that's the way I want my spiritual life to be. And and, and, Because it's a demanding race. Lest after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. I've been given a race. You've all been given a race. God has uniquely gifted each one of you, children of God. He has a race for you to be running. He wants you to do it, not haphazardly like a man beating the air, Not, you know what, I probably should do something, but you don't understand, people are so mean to me. No, run that race that you're called to do, as for me. And he's pushing this. Paul's race was to be the chosen instrument of God, Acts tells us. The chosen instrument to go into the Gentile and Jewish world and say, Oh, Israel's God has appointed a new king, and that king is Jesus. He is your Lord and your Savior. And Paul said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, and to the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. To the weak, I became like a weak. All things I'm willing to do in order that I might win some for the gospel. I was a chosen instrument. I'm an ambassador, a citizen of heaven, and a sojourner here on earth. He had a strategy, and that strategy was run as win. Self-discipline. If I said we're all going to run a marathon after church, we're going to go from here to Dunkin' Donuts, that'll be your reward. What kind of marathon is that, right? How many of you could run from here to Dunkin' Donuts? You'd say, well, Chris, could you give us three weeks' notice and the church runs to Dunkin' Donuts in three weeks? Can you imagine Percisee seeing our church running to Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> You'd want to build up some endurance, right? you got to have a strategy. you got to put a strategy in place to run as to win. Do you have any strategies to press and to strain more to be like Jesus Christ in your life? 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily discipline is of some value, but godliness is a value of every way. Think about straining in your scripture study. How about in prayer? These are spiritual disciplines. Where could you strain? Where could you feel God saying, You know what? It's time to grow. It's time to strain towards like Christness. Christ-likeness. Memorization. You ever fast? What about confession? you find there's so many people in their prayer life, they don't make confession part of their prayer life. I was taught by a great mentor, he said, Chris, say the sin you did to God. Don't be like, you know God, I probably did some wrong things today. No, say what you did. Let it come out of your mouth, it'll impact you deeper. Confession, make that more of a strain towards confessing your sin more. How about purity? If you're yourself to be pure, no, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not clicking that. I'm not going there. we got a men's purity group that meets on Mondays. They're a phenomenal job supporting one another, straining towards purity. Have you gotten sloppy, a little out of shape anywhere in your spiritual life? How about rest? God created things on the sixth day. He rested on the seventh. Do you think it was because he was tired? Boy, I'm shot. No. He was giving us an example that he wants us to take time to rest. We'll keep moving because I think I'm the poor person to preach that. Okay. Uh, Caring. Caring. Rejoicing. What? Have you ever thought about straining towards rejoicing and saying no to that complaining spirit you have in your heart or with other people? I gotta stop complaining. I gotta stop whining. I gotta stop. Oh, I got to knock that off. I got to beat my body and make it my slave. I'm going to rejoice for what I have and not complain about what I don't. That's straining towards Christlikeness. Worship. How about serving? I'm not going to have everybody serve me. I'm going to go serve someone else. What about in generosity? Maybe even discipleship. Somebody you can disciple. These are ways that we can strain, press on. Some of you might say, oh, Oh, I want to do that, but I'm so tired. This race has been long for me, Chris. I've had people trip me in my lane, bump into me. I've gotten distracted. I've grown out of shape at times. I just don't know if I have the strength. Well, then you need the Sojourner's Secret. You say, What's the Sojourner's Secret? I'll let Paul share it with you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't want you to walk out of here straining spiritually without asking Jesus to do it with you and through you. I'll tell you what, this past year, this is one of the areas in my spiritual life that I've really tried to make a more emphasis on. I don't want to open up my laptop in the morning without saying, Jesus, help me write this. I'm doing it for you. I know I'm doing it with you. Can I do this through you? You would not believe, even the simplest of tasks. Lord, I'm about to get all the kids up and I don't want to get them up. (laughs) But I'm going to do it for you and with you. Jesus help me to do it. Would you do this through me? You'd be surprised how much strength there is in your most fatigued moment, when you call for his help. Please don't take my word for it, and please don't let that be the pastor's thing. Take it on yourself to say, I've got to ask Jesus to help me do these things more. Because the message of the gospel is not try harder. Yes, Paul wants us straining. He wants us down the block. He wants us pursuing knowing Christ. He wants you to do everything for him and everything with him. But he also knows you can't do nothing without Christ who strengthens you. So I'd like you to think of some small dashes or some big dashes, or maybe even a five-year strategy where you could develop some mission, vision, and strategy. I talked to a father. He said, I only got my daughter in the house. She's gonna be going to college soon for so long. I said, well, how about you set up like three things you could do My daughter, my daughter's been reading a book lately of a guy who wrote out 100 goals that he wanted to do before he died. 100 goals. And he's working his way through them. I said, did you write out 100 goals? She went, 100 goals? Yeah. I don't know if I want to know that list. I'll feel pressure as a father. (laughs) Do you have any goals? mission statement for your life, a vision, a strategy. Maybe even over the next five years, companies often do a five-year uh, growth strategy. Well, they used to before last year. Now I think most companies are two years. But I pray you walk out of here going, Lord, where do you want me to strain more? And how can you help me do it? And in doing so, you'll become a sojourner here on earth. You're not just haphazardly going through your day, being a victim of the urgent, or a victim of what someone says to you or how they treated you, but you're a sojourner, you're missional, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, therefore you watch your mouth at work, you watch your attitude at school, you watch your decision making throughout your day because you represent Jesus Christ. A sojourner gets that and they don't want to represent him poorly. May it never be said of you, I had no idea they were a Christian. Wow, that's kind of shocking. May that never be said of you. They're transitional. They're a citizen of heaven. They're not all wrapped up in what this world has to offer. They're just passing through. It comes out in their way they talk and the way they make decisions and what they hold on to and what they spend money on. And they're intentional. They see they have a short window. It's not okay for them that their friend at school has never heard the gospel. It's not okay for a sojourner. They know they might only have a window with them. Trust me, young people, your window with your high school friends is extremely short. See, and you're saying at that retirement home, you get more intentional when you know you're moving on. You start saying things like, who could I say something to? Who could I encourage? Because sojourners live that way. And I pray throughout our series and acts, we'll seek to be more like the sojourners That Paul was as we see him traverse the globe sharing the good news of Jesus Christ I hope you're excited to walk through these missionary journeys I hope today gave us a great understanding what a sojourner is so that we might be one ourselves Heavenly Father use this message as well as those to come to inspire us to think differently this takes a renewed mind a renewed purpose a renewed hope but it also takes some effort Paul says, I want you to look at your life as a race. Jesus called you to pursue it and run after that prize of the well-done, thy good and faithful servant. And in order to run this race well, you've got to have mission. You've got to have a vision. But my goodness, you've got to have a strategy. Because this world and this fleshly body we live in in this earthly tent will distract us and try to rope us in in so many ways. But as sojourners, we're called to live differently. And I pray that this would impact our thinking as we move throughout this series and as we move throughout this week. In Jesus' name.